Today from Melbourne Park, we're sitting outside just off Garden Square between Kia Arena and the Rod Laver Arena at the end of a fascinating first week. I'm Chris Bowers and I'm delighted to say that I'm once again joined by the former WTA player Jill Kravis and my AO Radio commentator colleague Peter Mercato. Friends, impressions from the first week. It's been an amazing first week, hasn't it? Well, it has. G'day to you, Chris. Hello, everyone. Thank you. It's been fantastic. Yep, the weather, we had a bit of trouble with the extreme heat on Tuesday. Then we had the rain on Wednesday. But no, the rain was on Tuesday night. It was, and then it went into Wednesday. But we had a little bit of everything, but we've had some great play. We've caught the schedule up, and uh, the middle weekend is always the biggest weekend. It's the biggest time here at the, the tournament. We had almost 95,000 people around the grounds on the middle Saturday. So it's been extraordinary, just the amount of people coming. And the atmosphere has been electric, the best it's been since probably pre-COVID. I'm, I'm finally got some sleep last night, which I'm, <laughs> I'm very excited about. So did because, I. Because of how late the matches have gone. But that makes it even more exciting, in my opinion. The first week has just been fantastic. I know there's been very long days and very long nights, but what other sport does that? Well, I okay. I don't know, but I think it's been, even though it's tiring, I think it's also exciting, in my opinion. So let's get into that particular talking point. I mean, Andy Murray was being quite... Um, vociferous about it you know he won that amazing match at uh, 4.05 in the small hours of Friday morning against Tanasi Kokonakis and he said I don't know who a 4am finish benefits if my child was a ball kid for a tournament and they're coming home at five in the morning as a parent I'm snapping at that I mean are we in danger of seeing an amazing spectacle and thinking negatively about it when actually it was a rare event that was really rather special well, I think it's probably a little bit of both. I mean, I think it does make it special in, in a certain way because we keep talking about it and we, we talk about how amazing it is for these players to have the level that they had at that stage of what time it was in the day is just incredibly respectful to, to what they have achieved. Having said that, to be able to come back and recover from that is not the easiest thing to do. I mean, I saw they finished, Andy and Kokonakis finished at 4.05, in the morning. I saw Andy at 12.15 in the afternoon. I think he was maybe only slept for a couple hours and purposely tried to have a normal day again. He says he slept for three hours, six till nine. Yeah, and so to be able to, to have to do that is not the easiest thing to do. And he came back and still played well, but I think he ran out of gas in the end, in my opinion. So it's it's I guess challenging. Good. Yeah, and it's challenging and it's tough. So I'm, I kind of lean both ways. I get it. I get the difficulty of it. But I also get the exhilaration of it too. So I think it's it's a tough one. I don't know if they can start earlier in the day. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's a tricky one in terms of the, the scheduling because you always have two matches in the night session because if one goes short, then you've got another match to come on. So you value for money for your ticket holders. But it's also balanced with the fact that if you have a really good first match, people tend to leave for the second match anyway. Now, to be fair, the night session did start later because we had delays for the day session. So it started about an hour later. I mean, you know, four o'clock back to three o'clock is still the same talking point here and, and going on and on and on. Tennis, look, tennis takes longer to play these days. There's no doubt that matches are getting longer, but also, you know, do they arrive out on court on time? Um, you know, the time in between matches, the bathroom breaks, injury timeouts. It seems to be getting longer and longer. So I think that does need to be taken into account. Has anyone seen any statistics on whether the time the ball in, is in play is any longer? Because if, it's, if tennis is longer because of long rallies, then fine, that's a development of the sport. If it's getting longer because there is too much time 
between points, between games, between sets, then that's something that can be addressed without actually deviating from the attractiveness of the sport. I don't I don't think the time in between has changed in my opinion. I felt like that's been the same for a while. I think the physicality of the sport has gotten stronger and stronger which the, the, across the board the men and women are covering the court better which is making the points longer because everyone's just getting faster and stronger naturally. The sport is just progressing. So in my opinion, I feel like that's more the case than time in between getting longer. The flip side to that, of course, is that the later it goes here in Australia, I mean, obviously we're all getting very tired and I feel for Andy Murray because I had about three hours sleep as well. But I think the other thing too is I'm sure your mates in the UK would have had their TVs on in the morning actually watching it or into the afternoon. Well, they were on drive time. It. it finished it, at five past five in the afternoon. Exactly. So they would have been following the course of the match through. So, you know, we think about it here from a Melbourne perspective, but the players who are playing, you know, have got ramifications in the United States, in the UK, And the, the match between Alcaraz and Sinner at the US Open, which went to, what, 2.15, 2.30, um, that well, was, was during great the day here. here. Yeah, it absolutely was. So I think there's something in that too, in terms of how the, the matches are scheduled. Look, you know, if we don't have another one, I don't think we'll have another one that'll go till four in the morning again. It becomes an anomaly, but it's one of those things about, you know, should we go past midnight? What is the cutoff time if there is to be Okay, one? so let's just run a scenario here. Supposing the tournament said, yeah, we don't want play going until four in the morning. Let's have a cutoff time of midnight or let's say three hours into the night session. And the first set that ends after that cutoff point we stop and if the match isn't over come back the next day because don't forget Wimbledon are in that situation because Wimbledon's planning permission for the roof which we've had since 2009 is that if play's still going on at 11 o'clock they stop at the first opportunity because otherwise it's, it creates problems yes. with transport it creates problems with the generator that uh, powers the air circulation system because of grass being a living organism they have to have that it's not just the lights so could one have a similar situation here on the basis that it could happen organically at Wimbledon well, I think the thing is, though, is that where, where do you actually stop it? Where is that line? Now, is it midnight? Is it 1am? And then which point are you at the match? Do you stop it at 4-all in the final set? Because Wimbledon's is a very hard and fast rule. Here you might say, OK, it's 4-all in the final set. We might just try and get this done rather than come back. I think that there'll be a blurring of a line there. You'd have to stop it maybe before a final set. And the player who's just won the set where they stop will say, no, 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 I don't want to stop. I'm, I'm, I've got momentum now. And then do you play it during the day the next day? Do you play it at night the next day so they have a full 24 hours to recover? So by running the alternative scenarios, do we actually find that really there is no alternative to what happened and we should just enjoy it? Well, I, one idea that I was sort of floating, because one of the things actually about this that makes this just debate is that we could sit at a pub and have beers and, and just discuss it over and over. We can come up with all sorts of things. People have been quite creative with all this sort of stuff. And I actually like that idea. Nothing will probably change and that's fine. But I actually like having the progressive discussion and throwing the ideas out to see what might be possible. And I don't think tennis does that enough. But one idea that I was suggesting was that rather than have the mixed doubles in the second week of the tournament, you have it in the first week of the tournament. Therefore, if you do go through the scenario of running one feature match each night, you then could put mixed doubles on because you know if it's going to be a long match that the mixed doubles will only run for the best part of an hour, an hour and a half and they still get some sort of, you know, longer sort of session. 
that was one of the ideas that I was putting out. I don't and think then someone over. pulls a muscle at 3-2 in the first set of the main match and the mixed doubles only last an hour and people say, oh, I've only got an hour and a half for my tickets. I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate here, but all I'm saying is that it's easy to criticise what happened, but you've still got to have a replacement scenario. I mean, I, I don't mind the cutoff um, option because no one, I don't think people really complain that that's happening at Wimbledon. That's just the, the hard rule. And I know maybe sometimes players are playing consecutive days, but I don't necessarily think that's a, a bad thing either unless it's like a John Isner Mahu situation. Which, <laughs> which won't happen anymore. Which won't happen anymore. Um, and I don't think, because players also, there are some players that also don't mind the consistency of playing every single day. Where it's going to get tricky is if you have someone that's playing singles, doubles, and mixed. And even that is very rare. But if you just say this is rule, this is hard, it'll be interesting to hear what the, what the active players are saying. But I don't think I would have had an issue if it was just like, okay, we're stopping. You have a minimum of 12 hours. They can come out 12 hours after. Um, for the next day, and as long as you have a 12-hour rest, and then you just play, and you just play consistently. I don't know, that might be a, a good option to think. Well, I think um, the debate is the main thing there, that, like, let's have the discussion. Let's, let's, I think we need to move to, to reimagining the sport a little bit, for the way forward, not for the short term, but to have these longer-term debates. And it's not just here. Let, let's just get that out of the way. You know, we have late finishes all over the place, various tournaments, men's, women's, it doesn't really matter. It just happens. But also the other thing, too, is to be aware that they're also complicating factors. It's not just a simple matter of the crowd doesn't want to stick around. You've got television rights that, that are, you know, are, are lucrative here. You've got sponsorship. You've got, you know, thinking about the players moving through the tournament. There's all sorts of different knock-on factors here that don't just relate to people in the stadium don't want to stay past midnight that sort of thing so there's a it's a really big balancing act it's not just one thing that has to move it's a whole range of other things yeah i think that's that's the conclusion that we're all drawing that there's various factors i thought it was an amazing atmosphere credit yeah. to the couple of thousand people who stayed on to the end um and it was a working day on friday so i suspect a few people might have um worked from home well, I didn't. I was here. Slept, Jill was or, here. Or slept all day. <laughs> <laughs> we were here. That was the main thing. AO Radio kept going. We did indeed. Yes. Anyway, um, on a more upbeat note for you, Jill, it's been a great first week for the Americans. Yes, it's been exciting. And I'm really, um, I chose actually two Americans to win the men's and the women. I went with Fritz and Pagula. I have one left. Pagula just won today. So um, I'm really kicking myself that I didn't pick Corda now. Obviously, after the fact that he's doing very well, but he's one of my favorites, and he's always been one of my favorites, even from a couple years ago when I first saw him. So um, I think he's phenomenal. Um, and I think, I mean, they all had, I mean, Tiafo did well. Um, Fritz had a tough match against Popperin. Popperin just loves playing in this atmosphere. He always does well here, loves the energy. I was talking to Melise the other day, who's been working with Popperin, and was really pleased with the step forward that he had made winning that match against Fritz. Just really felt like he did a great job. He, he didn't feel like he maybe moved as well in the next round, um, so ended up losing that one to, to Ben Shelton, who's who's playing Another American. And Melise had also said that even um, Shelton's coach, Dean Goldfine, said that he thinks that's the cleanest, best match that he's ever seen from Ben. So um, he's playing with a lot of confidence right now. Well, you were talking last week about the success of the United Cup and how, in particular, the Americans just love being together as a unit. Do you think there's a United Cup effect that's rubbed off into the first week of the Australian Open? I think so. I mean, if you just see the way they were acting all together and how much they gelled as a group, they started writing on the cameras 
all, all who was it? It was Fritz, Tiafo, Pagula, and Keys all rode on the cameras after they won their match, locked in. And they had, and apparently it came from Francis, how he started saying, okay, we need, and they all thought that was funny because they're like, that's the person, that's the person, last person that would be locked in out of the four of them. But um, I thought it was great. And it got them all into a headspace where, you know, having a different approach here where they had that confidence. And I'm leaving, I know I'm leaving a lot of Americans out. I mean, there's JJ Wolf, there's um, Tommy Paul. Tommy Paul, who's still in, I mean, it's just been phenomenal. And on the women's side, too, Goff unfortunately went out today, but um, we had some breakthroughs with Katie Volinitz getting a big win um, against Kurta Matova. And so it's been, it's been fun to watch. And Peter, we started thinking this is a terrible tournament for the Australians because we lost uh, uh, Tom Lianovich before it started. Uh, obviously, Barty's not here to defend her title. Kyrgios pulled out on day one. And yet, the Aussies have done well. We've still got Diminor in the singles. We do, and yeah, we had Popperin uh, lurking around there as well. And Jill mentioned how meritorious that win was. And Diminor's taken that figurehead position. And it's interesting listening to his um, on-court interviews. He had a really good on-court um, the other day where, I think it was uh, with Alicia Mollick, where he was talking about, you know, we stick together and go out and support Popperin, who was going to play that night. And we want to build this team environment. You mentioned there about the United Cup. And I think you see that with the, the Australians um, as well. I mean, obviously the Polish team. And well, yeah, Shiontek wrote on the camera after one of her matches, go Hubi, yeah, so, about Hubert Hercatch. So, look, from an Aussie perspective, yes, OK, it's not in the numbers that we were expecting or hoping for to get to this stage. But, yep, there is still one alive. And, look, he's going to give it his absolute all against Novak Djokovic. One player who did well this week, even though he's out of the tournament now, Jensen Brooksby, had a very good win over Casper Ruud. And Ruud said afterwards that uh, it's interesting because Brooksby makes tennis look a little different from any other player. I mean, how different is that in an era where maybe the basic strokes, big forehand, big backhand from the baseline, big serve, are in fact you know, something that he undermines with his sort of slicing and dicing? Well, I, I think it's great to see. I think it goes to show you that it isn't all about power. I mean, Jensen Brooksby is one of the best at absorbing other players' power and being able to redirect that pace. He's got amazing feel around the court with his with his hands, especially on that backhand side. He's able to produce all different kinds of shots. And I think if you've never played Brooksby before, it just seems awkward to get used to his game at first. You have to, it takes a while to figure things out. And I think Rude was having that experience out there. He was just trying to, push him around the court and, and Brooksby's also a great mover. When I was watching that match, Brooksby looked like a little out of breath and in, in the third set he almost had it in the bag and then lost the third set and had to come back in a fourth and that was a huge mental moment I think for, for Brooksby to get through that fourth set after not being able to capitalize the third. So I think if he can take that throughout this year, that mental capacity to be able to come through, I think he's going to do great. Someone who had a breakthrough last year, Roland Garros, was Holger Rune, and uh, he's continued. He's, uh, he goes into the second week playing Andre Rublev, had some good wins in the first week, including against Ugo Umber, who's in good form. Are we entitled to think of him now as a, as a regular in the top 10, whether his ranking is actually in the top 10 or not? Yes, and I think the big thing was uh, at Bercy where he had that win over Novak Djokovic and that, that enormous spectacle. And you think on the big stages, who's going to be there to deliver? Now, of course, obviously, he's through to the, the second week. And one of the things we talk about is coming up against these great players and being able to do a best three out of five. And, and plenty have come unstuck uh, 
over the time, over the years with that particular dynamic. But he seems to be a player who is able to manage that consistency. And the other thing too, I think, with, with him in particular is, you know, there's, there's a lot of upside. You use the term a lot of upside. He's got a great game now, but he's continuing to work and develop it too. And I think also on the mental side, I think that'll be the key, obviously. We talk about the second week of a major and how important that mental strength is, particularly when you start to lose it a little bit physically just because of the fact it's seven matches and it's gruelling and there's so much on the line. So I think, yeah, we can absolutely talk about him being a fixture. And we're now, I think we can safely say, we're now at that tipping point where we've got... Um, these young guns who are coming through and they're going to maintain a presence and and uh, you know we're starting to get see the Nadal and Djokovic and, and starting to see those challenges real challenges coming through you mentioned Djokovic there we go into week two with the Djokovic drama still very much alive none of us really knows how bad the hamstring muscle is there's clearly something there because that he wouldn't voluntarily come on court with that much tape and yet when push comes to shove, he's been able to move extremely well. Yep, and uh, has just managed to pull through. I mean, look, he's going to be dangerous because the draws really opened up for him as well. And, you know, you don't, say, take anything for granted here, but he'd have to be really pleased with the way that he managed to get through week number one. And it's like two different match, two different tournaments. When you get into the second week, it starts to ramp up a little bit. He's in good form. He hasn't been lots and lots of time out on court and I think that's important too. Jill, do you think that he needs something to fight against? Um, you know, he's one of the best at being able to deal with those challenges. I think even when he has an injury, was it two years ago he had the abs? The abdominal. Was that two years ago? Uh, he says that the MRI scan showed a six millimeter tear yeah. in the abdominal. I mean, that's absolutely insane that he was able to get through that because abdominal tear you use it for everything in tennis I mean and that's incredible I mean yes there is you know you can take an anti-inflammatory pain medication you can tape it so you're so it's more rigid and it's not moving as much as you would like so it protects it a little bit having said that I mean he's one of the best at being able to play through pain challenges adapting like just the it's just incredible what he's been able to achieve so it's going to be it's going to be a test against Diminor I mean Diminor is going to run down a lot of balls he's going to make him play a lot of shots and he's going to try and make Djokovic move as much as possible so that's going to be a test because that, I don't think that one is going to be that quick of a match so we'll have to see. I wonder whether we need to review how we look at Nadal and Djokovic historically and actually see them as much as anything in terms of their ability to defy pain because both of them have uh, to what extent we don't know because we don't know what it, you know what they're feeling but uh, it, it does appear to be as they get into their late 30s almost a defining characteristic well if I want to find I'll read your book about Djokovic as you continue to update it but I think on the Nadal side Nadal in the past has, has used a term which I think is an apt one called suffering it's a suffering that I go through out there on the court. And he's one that, you know, will never really talk about his injuries and, and it doesn't display it on court unless it's absolutely, you know, acute. But I think, you know, they do. It is part of the process. I mean, these guys are playing a lot. And men's tennis, women's tennis, the calendar is so long now and the expectations are so high. And these guys right at the very top and the same on the women's tour they need to just keep improving and getting better they say it every year i need to keep improving i need to get better and that will take a toll when you can't go through your entire career and not have these niggles and injuries and problems that come up so yeah i think in terms of that i think for nadal in particular it'd be very interesting at the end of his career whenever that might be whether he does write a book 
and actually talk about some of those things he went through in detail because he's been very good not to talk about that sort of stuff. Let's then just take a short break from the Australian Open and talk to a couple of uh, players. Um, coming up shortly, we'll hear from the former doubles star Robert Lindstedt and we'll take a look at the top half of the draw. But first, let's hear now from a player who made it through to the fourth round in that section here in Melbourne, the Japanese player Yoshihito Nishioka. He secured his second tour title last year in Seoul, as well as making some other developments along the way. As he told Jill... Actually, I didn't have the coach when I was uh, 19 years old, till now. So You haven't had a coach until now, yeah. since when you were 19 years yeah, old. Wow. Yeah. And you're I mean, 20, I had a couple of coaches, but... 27? Is that... 20, 27, 27 years, years old, yeah. I mean, I had a coaches with the, the national team, but like, you know, it's not the real, my personal coach, he's working on the national or something. And I travel with my brother as well, but like, he's not the, exactly my coach. So, uh, you know, then like I have, I uh, got a new experience and then um, new couple of many things, you know. Then like, first week I won a title, which is, uh, I think, a great start, yeah. I think, together. But, uh, you know, uh, after DC, I got I got uh, many confidence, and then uh, you know we we went to uh, the Korea for uh, the 250. In the moment, I won a tournament, but it's, which is very different uh, DC and Seoul. And uh, in in the Seoul, I had a very confidence to win the tournament for because uh, you know I I made a final for 500, and then I think I can play against those top players. Then like it's successful. So uh, now I'm very also the confidence to play against uh, many players. And then even now is my ranking at 30 something. And, you know, I, I believe in, I can be more higher. It's understandable that you gain that confidence when you have a good week, mm -hmm. right? But to be able to do that, and for example, finals in Washington, but to be able to do that and back it up, mm -hmm. how do you continue that confidence? Because it's a very, it can be yes, up and yes. down road, right? Yeah, after DC, you know, I didn't do well in, uh, in a US Open as well. I was the first round. But I know it's uh, not going to be work for every week, you know. Um, some, some weeks is great and some weeks not. So, uh, you know, it's everyone like kind of the same uh, year. It's a couple of those players can play like whole years, but uh, not everyone. And uh, even my tennis as well, like, you know, cannot win every matches. Like I can make a chance to every matches, but I can know that every time I'm going to take it. I like what you said there when you said, I'm going to take it, because that's yeah. something that you specifically said after you won the Seoul tournament, mm -hmm. is that you had that mm -hmm. motivation, determination to go for it mm -hmm. and take it. Yes. Which you felt is is unusual, um, or is that something that you've always had in yours that changed? In the beginning of the year, I couldn't think like this way. But like when I, like a couple of years ago when I was 50, top 50, in the moment I was thinking like this way as well. So uh, before... <laughs> A couple of years ago, my mom told me, like, you cannot win whole matches. But like, you can win, like, some matches, like, when you have good time. So, like, you know, don't think too much, like, win or lose, but just play, like, you know, focus. And then, and then like, maybe have a chance to win. Mm -hmm. So uh, then, like, same, like, uh, now the Chris saying the same thing as well, like, right now, you know, just play, you know, focus. And then every match is, like, uh, you know, best tennis, try. And then if, if, if not going to work, you know. Just try the next week, you know. So like, this is a very uh, uh, good way to think, I think. And and Chris, who you just mentioned, Chris Zahalka, who you just started working with, how did that relationship come about? It's very bad. <laughs> <laughs> just for the record, he's, he's sitting in the room listening. <laughs> it's very bad. Uh, yeah, okay, joking, I but... know you're joking. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, you know, he was working uh, other Japanese 
player. Uh, she's a WTA player, right. but uh, she knows some Japanese uh, thinking way. And then um, I know uh, he has very experience. Uh, so uh, and then most of he he was uh, coaching many refti as well. So he know about the uh, refti tennis as well. I think. So that was something that was a conscious choice for you, working with someone who had worked with lefties before. I think it's very important. I yeah, think okay. it's, uh, somebody has to know like a lefty, and then you know. Why specifically do you think that's important? Well, it's very different righty and lefty, and then lefty is not many player in the tour, so uh, we cannot play the same as righty players. And even I'm very small, so which is more different too. So. Uh, um, I think it's uh, he know many things about uh, refties and then many kind of players uh, for experience. So uh, which is I think uh, very helpful for me as well. And so and talking about I, I want to talk about the coaching a little bit more because you mentioned you hadn't had a coach since you were ni- yeah. nineteen. Yeah. Was that a conscious choice throughout your career, or were you had you been looking for someone that might be a good fit? Well, private coach is I, I was a little bit tough to you know, figure out, like, he's a fit me years or not. And I just wor- was working, with, like, five years with a uh, federation's coach. And uh, he also doing very good for me as well. But, uh, you know, he working on a national, he's not a private coach. Well, like, I love to think, like, many things about the tennis for myself. So uh, I, I was thinking, like, that's okay, because I made already top 50 for just this, you know. But, so uh, you liked being on your own a little bit. Yeah, yeah okay. uh, you know, like thinking like what I have to do or, you know. I was thinking like from 19 years old until like before the work with Chris, right? But uh, if I want to be more higher ranking or more better players, then like I need to um, more different, uh, maybe like spice, you know. So, I like uh, that, spice. Yeah. <laughs> So uh yeah I think that's uh that's very important things if I want to be more better players or more make good results higher than top 50 so uh that's why um I I think now is I need the coach So this brings up an interesting question because for someone that likes being on their own a little bit and figuring things out and now having a coach mm-hmm. Do you utilize the fact that you get coaching now on the court? Is that something that's because that would be really different for you for someone that's been on their own so much? Yeah. So, you know, uh, he gave me advice, many things like, you know, but even technique as well, but I can mostly be a mentor first. But uh, also, we within a conversation, many things. You but know. more so on court. Yeah. 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 yeah okay. Even on court as well. Oh, okay. You know, he, he think, he's saying like this prayers against this prayers, I think this way. And then I, I also saying like something like he's uh, doing this as well, or you know the down drawing is better, or a cross court is better, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then like we can make decision like how it's going to be play against this or other players, you know. So uh, so you enjoy you like it? Yeah, yeah I like yeah, it. Okay. Now I get in like otherwise from outside. Mm-hmm. I was thinking like you know just myself before, uh, just if. If I was just by myself, I was thinking I could just, you know, just I think myself and then like I decided myself. But like now, you know, he gave me advice. I, you know, I tried to say something like my way and then like then I could decide in like best mm-hmm. way. Right now it's trying to work like those things. I know it's been a very short time yeah. that you've been working together, but yeah. do you feel like it's impacted any of your matches so far? 
Yeah, because I want to talk about it. You the first week together. Yeah, it, wor- wow. it works like just a week. It's work, right? works like a charm, right? Okay. I know, I know. It's not the work, right? <laughs> no, that like every time for sure. Yeah. But, uh, you know, um, now it's a big, big change in the moment is for the mental part. Yeah. Um, like, he always trying to make me... Uh, uh, focus on the core, don't lose your mind, or, you know, fighting, fighting, fighting. And then, you know, let's see that, how the result's mm-hmm. going. He always said to me, like, it doesn't matter, like, win or lose. For sure, the win is better. But, like, even if you lose, try your best way. Mm-hmm. And then, like, maybe you have a chance next time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, that's very think. That was very tough to think every time just by myself. Mm-hmm. If somebody says, and then like somebody have very many experiences, and then say to me like this, and then like I can believe this, right? Mm-hmm. Then like it's really uh, changing the mental part. So uh, yeah. Okay. You also mentioned your stature, mm-hmm. your height, and that you're a little bit smaller. Mm-hmm. And you said you'd love to be an inspiration to young kids, maybe that aren't as tall as mm-hmm. well. But you were inspired by one of your inspirations was Rios. Is that correct? Uh, you had a similar yes, statue. Yes, or was that a yes. long time ago? Yeah, yeah. I never seen. Has him that ever. changed? <laughs> well, still he's my hero. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I I mean I was watching just on YouTube channel. So <laughs> you watched a lot of videos. Yeah, of yeah. Just yeah. on YouTube. So I never see him on the real. Okay. But. Uh, I mean, yeah, Rios and NK, uh, some other players as well, but yeah. uh, even they're a little bit higher than me, but uh, they're even small mm-hmm. in this uh, in this sports, right? And they give me many, uh, many inspirations. Yeah. So what would be some things you could take away from, say, a Rios? You mentioned Nishikori. I know you admire Nadal's mentality as mm-hmm. well. Just little tidbits that you would take away from your heroes in particular. Well... First of all, uh, like, first of all, I say, uh, first time I watched a Rios match when I was 15 years old. Okay. And uh, I was in a uh, uh, Nick Baroteri Academy. Mm-hmm. And then the Nick told me you have to watch more the, about Rios, how he couldn't play. Like, he told me, like, in the lefty, try to hit a more wider service in a du- uh, advantage side. And, like... And then Rio sprint like this, and then like you know I tried to start watching about the Rios, and then he trying to like you know try many uh, wide service, and then the opponents going outside the court, and then I can make an open court like this. It, this is very simple situations, but those kind of things like you know you have to run many things like the professionals, uh, the best one, the best players for the refs. Then, then now um, I got in the many inspirations how. We have to play against like, like a Rublev or the Medvedev or like some of those uh, top players. Like you know, the K playing many times against those players. Then I can figure out why K can beat them, and then like wh- why I cannot. So. so do you watch videos of K now? How? Oh, uh, many times, yes. Yeah. Before uh, play against uh, those players, some players. Even uh, in DC, before I play against the uh, Rublev, yeah. I was watching the K as much against the uh, okay. Rublev, and then like I knew K okay, have a good time against the Rublev almost every time. So then like I was thinking like why he can beat the like, Rublev, and I couldn't win the match. So uh, then like you know I figure out the way. Mm-hmm. So uh, Rios is like very my hero, but like, he's a little bit old, right? <laughs> <laughs> Just a little, little bit, bit more in the past, <laughs> yes. Okay. So uh, it's very uh, the different tennis, <laughs> right? Now, right, right, right. A couple right. twenty year, right. years ago. Yeah. So uh, 
I love to watch. This is very interesting for me. So I want to do like, you know, kind of like his tennis. Yeah. But now it's a very different. So I, Different how? Yeah. In your yeah, experience. Yeah. How is it different in your experience? Well, now it's, everyone has much, much power. Mm-hmm. And like, for sure, if I can control the ball, that's better. But like, it's, you know, now it's the Arikaraz or uh, even Fritz. uh or very same like a couple of young players have like huge power then like they just hitting service or forehand and like I cannot do anything mm-hmm. so which is you know it's very really different a couple the wrong time ago and then now so then like I'm watching about the case much for like figure out that the opponent's mm-hmm. weak weaker sprint uh I mean uh the weakness and how it's gonna be getting a problem against the opponent so uh, yeah do you ever watch videos of yourself playing uh yes yeah yes and have you what have you learned from that if 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 you've learned anything what have you learned from watching yourself play against some of these players well uh i watch my tennis i don't like to watch (laughs) i lost as much this is uh uh, you know everyone hate it but like sometimes i watch and then like why i lost or why i beat you know, this is very important things after much, and then, and then like I can think like what well, I have to improve it, or like if I improve it this way, then like I can win like more easier or something like this. So uh, then like that's the reason I watch my mm-hmm. match as well. You also mentioned feeling a little bit more confident. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've noticed I've watched quite a few of your matches and some players have said that you can be very frustrating to play. Yeah. Is that which is probably good for you to hear? Yeah. Um, does that give you confidence knowing that when you walk out into the court? Well, uh, if the opponent thinking like those way, yes, <laughs> I feel great. <laughs> yeah, the, after the final, you know, so the shuffle said this, but uh, I think yes. Um, this is a joke, but uh, maybe half is uh, maybe not sure. But uh, Tiafu told me in uh, DC as well. It's you know the, in DC is very hot and humid, mm-hmm. and then like I was playing like wrong matches against those some players, and <laughs> Tiafu told me like no one wants to play against Yoshi in this heat, you know, and then like. Did he tell you that directly, or you just? Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. he told me <laughs> directly. He said, "Like, I'm very happy to. I don't have to play." With you. <laughs> <laughs> you <know>? That's great. <laughs> this is very funny, but like, you know, if somebody thinking like this, mm-hmm. it's very, you know, good way for me. Yeah. <laughs> because I don't have power enough like those players, and I have to do something different. Mm-hmm. And you know, I had to running a rod as well. I had to make a rod the ball as well. But if starting thinking like the opponent thinking like uh, Yoshi gonna play longer, and this hit even he can running every ball and then like he don't gonna miss like every ball and then like you know like easy shots. So I have to be like perfect or you know. I but I I wanna finish the match as very soon as possible. But like Yoshi try to make a longer, and then like the opponent started thinking mm-hmm. like frustration and then like annoying you know yeah so uh that's yeah i think that's very helpful to know my my (laughs) match yes okay well i'm gonna let you go Mm -hmm. thank you so much for your time congrats on everything this past couple months and um all the best (laughs) thank you very much what a nice man he sounds great jill he is he's a lot of fun and um he's very open and he's funny 
he's not like many Japanese players are very calm and collected on the court. He shows a lot of fire and passion, which I which I like to see. He had a tough match today against Hashinov, really did not start off that match at all. He lost the first two sets, love and love, and just was not playing right. Even Hachinov said afterward, he's like, I'm not quite sure what happened. He's like, that's not his typical game. He pushed it to a third set tie break, but Hachinov went in straights. But he's a great guy. He's a very hard worker. He's just started working with a new coach right before that, that title in Seoul. So he's pretty excited about his... And about he's on the verge of the top year. 30 now. I, know. I mean, even if he doesn't quite make it in the ranking list after the Australian Open, the chances are with points dropping off in the next few weeks, he'll get into the top 30. Talked in that interview about his heroes. Talked about Marcelo Rios, Kane Shikori, and the advice he was given by Nick Boloteri, who died recently. How important is it for players to have heroes? And, and can that actually sometimes work against them because they're not being themselves? I think it depends how they take the information. I think, you know, a lot, of, I think it's, the WTA a while ago when I was still playing had a mentorship program that I thought was extremely valuable. And if it comes from some of your heroes, I, th I think that can be amazing. I know Corda's had some mentorship from Agassi and Graf. In particular, he has now has Stepanek in his box. Um, and I think, it's, I think it's working well for him. Obviously, he's doing well, but I think it can be good. It just depends how the player absorbs that information, how they take it in, how they're willing to listen, and how they're willing to be able to transition that information to the court. So I think it depends. Well, we're recording this with a couple of Sunday's matches still to finish. A number of players have impressed this week. Jill Kravis, Peter Mercato, and I, Chris Bowers, will be discussing a few more players who've impressed us in just a moment. You're listening to the ATP Podcast, coming to you from Melbourne Park. You're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio Podcast. Available on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and ATPTour.com. We're looking forward to the second week and one of the players who's there who we might not have tipped is Yerji Lehechka, who had a very good win against Felix Auger-Aliassim. Surprised to see him, Peter? Uh, yes, absolutely, yes. But a lot of people have talked good things about him for a while. Yes, but look at the, the fact that he's come in He's unseated. He just built a wave of momentum. Obviously, played another one that's played the United Cup, uh, en route to, to being here in uh, at Melbourne Park, and has started to ride the wave through. And you know, his match today, or when as we're recording this today, was sensational. I mean, the fact that he could close it out so coolly and calmly in the end, I think that was one of the, the big ticks from from my perspective. But he's one of those players that's quietly going about his business now. They're not obviously, no one was really giving him a chance early on, and. Czech tennis. What is going on with Czech tennis? There's so much to Czech tennis. I mean, obviously it's been predominant on the women's side, but on the men's side too. What is what is with Czech tennis? Why are they so good? I think we need to go to the Czech Republic to find yeah. out. Yeah, I think it's. I think for me, it's about feeding off each other. I mean, you see your compatriots doing well, the support that they give each other, um, and I think that's huge. When you see, it's the same with the Americans right now. You see them all supporting each other, rooting for each other, and I think that goes a really long way. Another triumvirate who've supported each other are the Russian um, trio yeah. of Medvedev, Rublev and Hachanov. And in recent slams, we've been looking at uh, Medvedev and Rublev in the second week and not Hachanov. This time, it's Medvedev who's missed out with Rublev and Hachanov still there. And I just wonder whether Medvedev is struggling to hold it with the, the very top at the moment. I, I think what's interesting is we talk so much about the women, how like anyone can win it. And I almost feel like that's starting to happen with the men. You're seeing so many different guys play so well 
and get upset and push different names pushing further in slams, which we see in the women quite a bit. So I'm excited about both right now because these new names coming up, like Lahechka is excited. I saw him in Milan at the next next gen last fall and very impressed and I and I think he's a very aggressive player he's not afraid to go for his shots but I think even having that type of an event for the youngsters because it's the way it's produced I mean it puts them on a big stage okay maybe in a different venue than the Nito finals but it puts them on a stage and makes them an elite eight in some way which I think is huge for them to go forward. Before we turn our attention to the doubles and the women's singles, Jill's been speaking with the recently retired Swedish doubles player Robert Lindstedt. He won the Australian Open doubles in 2014 alongside Lukas Kubot and is now enjoying time with the family, as well as coaching the American Dennis Kudler. Jill started by asking him, with the benefit of hindsight, can he look back and enjoy all he achieved? When you're in the midst of things, you kind of get caught up in everything, the stress, the pressure and all that stuff, so you kind of lose out on the enjoyment a little bit at times but it's impossible to do something for so long as I managed to do this without enjoying it and now stepping back you realize how much you actually loved it. Did it was it hard for you to come to the decision to to retire? If it would have come earlier in my career it would have probably been really difficult mm -hmm. but I was fortunate enough to learn what hard work would do for you and, and, and how it could extend your career. So I played for such a long time that the decision kind of became easy for me. I Obviously, you talk to other players and friends. I've spoke a lot to, spoken a lot to Jonas Bjorkman in my career, and, and they all just say, like, you will know when it's time. Don't worry about it. You will know. And it's true. You know, and if you can end on your terms, you know exactly when that moment is because you just know, like, no, I'm done. I'm done. And that was the same for me, and I was very, very happy and fortunate to be able to do that. And how long into your career before you, before that moment came for you? It was late. It was at the very end. I mean, I, I finished when I was 44 with Davis Cup for Sweden, and I was extremely kind of fortunate in, in, in that instance that I wanted to play Davis Cup in 2021, but I had a shoulder injury that kind of kept me out from playing. So I had the whole year of knowing that, okay, if I get my shoulder ready and I reach high quality enough in my tennis, then that's going to be the end for me. So I had a whole year to prepare. And then when I actually finished, it was, I knew I was done and I was happy with it. And you said for quite a bit of your career, it's tough to know when you're in the moment to really reflect and appreciate. Have you had time to reflect now and appreciate moments in your career? You do realize the unbelievable lifestyle you were, you were able to live. And, 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 and I mean, everybody says fortunate, but I mean, we all work very hard to be where we are. So we have ourselves to thank as well uh, and, and the people around us. So it's, um, I do look back at my career with much more joy than, than anything else, yeah. Were there certain moments that stood out to you, like certain emotional memories? I mean, it is. Um, it's um, winning my home tournament for, tournament for the first time. That was, that was an unbelievable high. Reaching top 100 was an unbelievable high. And then winning the first tournament was also an unbelievable high. Then you have Davis Cup. A, being picked, then B, getting to play, and then C, actually winning a Davis Cup tie for your country. That was also amazing. Um, uh, funnily enough, winning Australian Open uh, was more of a relief for me than anything. Really? Yeah, I had so many opportunities in, in Wimbledon the years before and stuff, so it was, just, it was just a relief of not losing another one. 
And but well, you enjoyed it, but you enjoyed it after. Yeah, yeah, obviously. no, no. But yeah, in, yeah. The, in the moment, it was a relief. Yeah, it was like actually winning was 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 an unbelievable relief, and then obviously we really enjoyed it that all night and late into the morning. But uh, it was, and then looking back at it, you you do really enjoy yeah. it. Yes, of course. And you brought up Davis Cup, and I just want to talk about. There's been a lot of good Swedish players, obviously Bjorkman, and then Stefan Edberg. I'm sure I'm going to miss some. Yeah, you're Besides, missing about twenty. I, I know about twenty. <laughs> <laughs> I know because I'm not going to name them all. Yeah. Um, but what what have what advice have you gotten? You said um, Bjorkman obviously told you about. You'll know, and I mean, what other advice have you gotten from your from your compatriots? Uh, no, it's been we had uh, a really great friendship, all of us. Um, my time in Davis Cup with the older guard, so to speak, like with uh, with Jonas, with Thomas Johansson. Then I had Thomas Enquist as a captain for a while. Captain when um, when I first joined the team was Mats Vilander and Joachim Nyström was the assistant captain. And like they've all been so generous with me and with the help. And then every time at tournaments, I I would ask. Thomas Johansson or Jonas Berkman, hey, just come to my practice. Something's not working, and they would always show up. They That's would never amazing. not come. So it's like they've they've helped me a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. So I I have a lot of. Th- Thanks to a lot of people. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, what what are some of what's can you remember some of the advice that they gave you that apart, was pertinent from, to your career? <laughs> apart from calm down. <laughs> uh, no, but I mean, a lot of it was kind of just to believing in me. I was so critical of myself, um, and you know, a lot of times that you say like you're, you're playing amazing, and I just I, I struggle to believe it at times, but. It's just technical things a lot of times, like when it comes to the serve, it's like, oh, your toss is a little bit over here, and then like, hey, put your left forward, foot forward more, or like increase your step when you run here, and it's just these small, small tactical things, and then obviously with Jonas being so good in doubles also, it was, it's more of like where to place your volleys, where to stand, and, and, and all of these things, so it's... Um, you're stupid if you don't listen to, to guys that have, that have been there and done it. And what, where do you think, to talk about doubles in particular, where do you think doubles, it's so strong now and I feel like it can be promoted a little bit more. What, what do you feel like the doubles can, can do better so people are watching it more and more aware of it? It is, it is very strong. It's been very strong for a long, long time. Uh, uh, not to just <laughs> put our, our names in the basket. It is very strong right now. I mean, it's gotten so much more athletic and physical you can't really be lazy anymore everybody's training like 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 a singles player if i can use that term um what we can do more i I feel like it's more of uh actually getting the opportunity to to showcase the sport to actually uh to actually show that we that we're quite entertaining and 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 it's a beautiful sport and lastly moving on since you just retired you have a family um congratulations thank you and a wife and a beautiful son um, what are the plans for your future? I know you've been coaching a little bit with Dennis Kudla, and is that something that you would still like to continue to do coaching? You obviously have passion for the sport. No, I do. I, I, I realized when I started coaching a couple of years ago that, that um, it's something I really enjoy because it's, it's more when you win as a coach, and I really mean what I say now, when you win as a coach, it's actually more rewarding for me than winning on my own because you're helping someone to do something you're convincing someone that your vision what you see for them is this is going to work for you trust me and then when it does and the player comes to you it's like yeah that was spot on it's it's an unbelievable feeling of helping someone growing and becoming better so that's something that i think i'm actually hooked on 
and uh, I really I really love doing it. Um, so we'll see. Uh, with the family, it's 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 amazing. I'm gonna I'm gonna give our son uh, the opportunity to play if he wants to. I'm not sure I want him to. Okay, but why? It, uh, it's it's. Uh, it's a tough sport to get into. Very few make it. It's it's extremely difficult. It's a bottleneck that very very few guys come through. So, uh, but if he wants to, he's gonna have all my support. But uh, I think we're hoping basketball right now. <laughs> okay. Well, he's got the height. Both yeah. both you and your wife have some good height, so there's a good chance yeah. on that. But throw him into everything. Why not? Right? Yeah. No, we will. We will. Whatever he picks, and as long as he loves it, he'll have our full support. Well, you guys look very happy. I'm very happy for you, and you've had an amazing career, so congratulations again. Thank you. Jill, Peter, Robert spoke there about doubles players not being able to afford to be lazy anymore, referring to the professionalism and training regimes. I mean, is it more professional than it was in, in, in terms of doubles? I mean, I suppose the doubles players are very much specialist players these days as opposed to singles players playing doubles as well as singles. Well, I I do feel like it's important to have consistent teams. I think, you know, that was what was exciting, the Bryan brothers being together. I mean, we do have, like, Ram Salisbury, Roger Arivalo. So we have quite a few teams that play together consistently. I was just talking to a doubles player the other day, and um, he had a good suggestion about having like an off-season doubles training session somewhere which which would be kind of cool because then you have like it would be the focus for them and then they can go and I, I just think we need to promote promote the doubles more and I think that could be a good way to start if you could get that coverage they could talk about it a little bit if they did have sort of that training session but um, I, I don't think they're lazy. I mean, I, I go out and see doubles players practicing their butts off like every single day and talking to them. And even when I'm talking to some of them, they're constantly talking about strategy, how to get better, talking about their opponents, what they need to do. So in my opinion, I, I don't think that at all. I think they're, they're, still, they're working as hard as anybody else. Oh, I think so too. And I think the fact that they're also employing coaches as well to actually coach teams rather than just individuals, I think is a good sign of that. And I mean, yes, the matches are shorter throughout the year. But having said that too, you know, it takes a bit of training to get through the doubles matches that they do here and also adapting tactically. Because I think part of that is the tactic side of things and getting that right and having a discussion, particularly when you're playing against those who predominantly play singles because they play a different style. But you can't have the hands that they do and the, be able to create the angles they do if you don't practice. And I think each team, the big teams, and certainly the Bryan brothers on the men's side have been right at the forefront of that, have pushed the sport forward and taken it to new levels and the expectation of what's required continues to advance. Well, my doubles moment of the week was on Kia Arena, the, the, the venue for the, the development of the Kyrgios-Kokonakis partnership last year. When this when the Tsitsipas brothers, Stefanos and Petros, played a really good match against the world's top pair, Kulhoff and Skupski. Yep, and pushed them all up, away. They ended up losing on a final set tiebreak, but the atmosphere there was great. And because Tsitsipas, well, Stefanos, was still in the uh, singles, I was thinking, wow, uh, he's not going to want to win this one. But actually, he did. He was really up for it. And I felt it meant that Petros suddenly got a bit of credit for being a decent doubles player. Whereas I think some people have been thinking, oh, well, his brother carries him. But... That was a really good match. It certainly was. And I think, too, the other thing is that the women's side of things have led the way because we still see, even in these draws, there's a lot of singles players and players who go deep into the singles draw who consistently, each and every slam, 
play doubles. That's why you have at the, the tour finals um, the players that are doing double duty. They make, they qualify for singles and they qualify for the doubles as well. So it's a lot more prominent there. But uh, Jill's right. You know, the promotion of the sport is is really important. The fact that the doubles is just not an afterthought. It is a, a legitimate part of events and should have that level of prominence. Let's have a look at the women's singles, which had been very much dominated by the red-hot favourite, but she's gone out, Iga Sviantek, um, beaten by the Wimbledon champion, Elena Rybakina, and that means that everybody left in the women's singles probably fancies their chances now. Yeah, I think everybody did already. I mean, I know Iga had an amazing streak happening last year, won a couple slams, and but I mean, Rybakina won Wimbledon. I think she's got a huge game. To me, yes, Iga's number one, but I feel like there's... It's not that didn't surprise me, despite the fact the discrepancy in their seedings, the the numbers in their next to their names. I mean, Rubakina is such a dangerous opponent. Well, if you count the Wimbledon ranking points, which we don't at the moment, right. then Rubakina would have been top ten. Yeah, but um, yeah, I think I think a lot of women feel like they can push that, and I don't think that's changed that much. I think that's been the case for a few years now, where so many women feel like they have a chance to to win a slam. So where are our picks then at the end of um, the first week? I've lost Fiontech, but I've still got Djokovic. I have both. I've got Garcia and Djokovic. And I have Pagula and Korda. You do not. Oh, that's... <laughs> you do realise... Okay. I have Pagula the whole time. I did have Fritz, but I can jump to another American. I'm, I'm jumping to Korda. You can't change. Well, it's I like didn't, our predictions. I didn't pick Fritz because I felt that going from best in a slam being the quarterfinals to a champion was too big a jump so I definitely can't go for quarter on that that's one happened before. that's happened before it has happened before yes it's it's unlikely I think anyway I'm in a very good position here it's <laughs> two to one you are indeed anyway the great thing is the weather forecast has set fair we've got although despite lots of upsets in the first week plenty of good names left in a lot of heat though next uh, weekend but luckily we'll be under the lid probably because it'll be very hot but it's good. We will get the tournament through and the atmosphere will continue to build. Plenty of intriguing plot lines heading into week two. We'll be back next Sunday to talk about who ended up centre stage and who was cast aside. I'm Chris Bowers. My thanks to Jill Krabus and Peter Mercato. Thanks for listening and enjoy the tennis.